The Galatians, having launched their Christian experience by faith, and they seemed content to leave their voyage of faith and chart a new course based on works. Hello and welcome to the Love Key Church podcast, where we share our church's message of the week. My name is Heinz Winkler, and together with my wife, children, and our leadership team, we host Love Key Church here in Somerset West, online and on this podcast. It is our mission to help you to encounter God, align with His purposes, reign in life, and help others to do the same. We trust that you will find this message empowering, encouraging, and inspiring. Please share it with your friends and family and write a review for us. And a huge thank you goes out to those who have already done so. May you be thoroughly blessed as you listen to this message. I want to do a quick recap for those who may have joined us for the first time or have missed some of the Sundays. We started off the year and we believe that God gave us this, this word for the year, the word fruit. And we've been delving into that. We started with a message called Be Fruitful and Multiply. We talked about how it's important to understand that we are positioned to produce something. The question is, how are you positioned and what are you producing? Then Harvey spoke about to not have fear for the year, no fear for the year. And then we spoke about what you sow into your own life will show by what you sow out of your life. If you allow false teachers, prophets, and messages into your life, and you allow it to be sown, you will sow bad theology and be misled. And it's important to know who are we listening to and what are we allowing in our lives. Then I spoke about the recipe for joy from Psalm 112. God showed us that the two most important things is fear of the Lord and greatly delighting in obeying His commandments. And there was a secret ingredient. Who can remember the secret ingredient? Love. Love for God. Amen. And then last week I spoke about the fruits of unity. And we saw how important it is and how strongly it is on the heart of God that His church, His people are united. They are of one mind. They bear with one another. They love one another. They forgive one another. They walk with one another. And all the unity is based on us taking our eyes off of each other and fixing it on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. That's the only way. It cannot be about us and our preferences and our likes and dislikes, but all about Him. It's the only way I can truly love my brother next to me who might be different, sound different, think different, smell different, um, and I can love them well. Amen? Now today we're going to build on this, uh, but, so I want you to go back and listen to the previous messages if you've missed it so that we can all be on the same page. We also need to have unity in terms of what we believe and what God is doing in our midst. Amen. All right. So we're going to dive into the Word today. The, our, our theme, our message title for today is Holy Fruit. We're going to talk about Holy Fruit, and I'm going to tell you what exactly that's about in, in just a few minutes. But I want to start today by asking you, how many of you know what a slipstream is? What is a slipstream? Some of you know? All right. How many of you have ever um, been in a slipstream and you were very aware of it? Okay. So a slipstream, it's an area of reduced air pressure and forward suction immediately behind a rapidly moving vehicle, all right? So typically, you would find this in motor racing. 
but you also find it in cycling. So you will see often cyclists who are in a team, they take turns cycling right behind each other because right behind the guy who's in front going fast, there's a slipstream. And what's so powerful about a slipstream is it's not just blocking the air and the pressure from the front, it is also creating a suction motion that pulls you forward. So you're not just being, you're not just avoiding the oncoming air pressure, you are being pulled forward. Amen? Uh, so this is a powerful thing that happens. And so some of you may have experienced this on a, on a bicycle. Anyone been on a bicycle, experienced that? It's, it's quite amazing. Now, what, what happens when you move out of the slipstream? You suddenly feel that, that, that pressure that was being broken by the guy in front of you, and now you have to what? Work much harder. And, and you may not achieve the same speed and the same efficiency, okay? Now, which one is easier? <laughs> Obviously being in the slipstream. So how do we get into a slipstream? Now, practically, it means that at some point, you, if it, let's talk about cycling. So how do I get into that slipstream? If we take it way back, all the way back, at some point you had you to decide to cycle. <laughs> Okay, so somewhere you had to decide, I'm going to cycle, I'm going to, I'm going to get into this thing. You had to make a decision to, 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 to count the cost and to buy into this thing. And it would cost you. How many of you know bicycles are expensive? All the gear that goes with it is very expensive. It will cost you. It will cost you in training, spending time, getting ready. But then... You, you now, then you learn how to get into the slipstream and then you recognize that you need to get behind someone who is stronger than you, more experienced than you, and you need to stay on their wheel. You need to stay close for that slipstream to actually happen and for you to be in it. How many of you know that whether you are in that slipstream or out of that slipstream, the guy in front is still going to keep going? All right? Now, there's a similar thing, just to help you maybe with the illustration, um, if you are, have you ever been on an electric bike? Anyone ever been on an electric? It feels like cheating. You've got this extra power that's driving you. You're kind of doing half or 40% of the work you would normally do, but this thing is just pushing you forward. I've seen people on electric bikes on an uphill, and I'm like, that's just wrong. Like, you're not even trying. <laughs> Someone's like sweating right next to them. <laughs> And here they come, hmm, cruising, <laughs> just feels wrong. But, you know, in saying that, if someone offered me one, I wouldn't say no. Now, with this picture of the slipstream, the, the electric bike, not so much, but I, I just thought of that as well. This is very similar principle in our spiritual lives. And because we, at some point, those who are born again, had to make a decision to follow Christ. And you learned very quickly, it costs you everything. How many of you know the gospel message is actually the free gift that costs you everything? It's a, it's a weird thing for us to really understand, and it's something that may take the rest of our lives to really comprehend. But there's a cost. Jesus says you must count the cost before you follow him, because it will cost you everything. We had to choose to enter the race of walking by faith, and to actually show up for the race. 
How many of you know that if you pay the money, get the number, but you don't actually rock up on the day and get up on your bicycle, you can't finish the race? Anyone? We had to choose to make Jesus our Lord and the Holy Spirit our ever-present coach and director. As long as we humbly stay right behind them and follow their lead, we will stay in the race. Would you agree? How many of you know that we've been given an unfair advantage? As believers in Jesus Christ, we have an unfair advantage because the Holy Spirit is with us. We have a supernatural slipstream when we are walking in the Holy Spirit. And on top of that, if we abide in Jesus and follow in His footsteps as He follows the Father, we are in the best place we can possibly be. Filled with the Holy Spirit, walking in the Holy Spirit, following the footsteps of Jesus as He follows the Father, that's where we're supposed to be. Can you see that beautiful intimacy and, and unity that we have in the triune God? It's amazing. Now, most truly born-again Christians start out well. They feel so refreshed and happy and joyful and energized that first moment and for the first few weeks or months of getting saved and born again. Like you showed up, for, you, 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 you bought the bike, you put on the gear, you go for your first ride. And it's like, man, I'm looking good, I'm feeling good, it's awesome. And then maybe the first time you go out, you do just five kilometers, and you're like, yes, I can do this. Next time, a friend says, hey, you should come with us. And you're like a little nervous, but you think, okay, I'll go with you. Then you go with them, and they do uphills. And you go, I might look good, but I'm struggling. You go home, and you're like starting to think about this. Should I do it again? Because <laughs> I've got a lot of milk seed now. My legs are aching. Can't get up the next day. But some friend is, is able to get you to go again. You try again. This time they're doing uphill and downhill and you almost fall and break your collarbone. You're like, whew, this is rough, man. I don't know if I should keep getting up. This is exactly what happens in our spiritual lives. The first while we're like, oh, whoop de doo and like, I want to lead everyone to Jesus and this is going to be awesome. It was like that with me when I got saved as a 16-year-old. I was on cloud nine all the time having a great time <laughs> with Jesus. And I just wanted to tell everybody. And at some point, life hit me between the eyes. And I realized I didn't turn into a perfect, holy Christian the same day that I gave my life to Jesus. How many of you know that's true? Amen? It's you just started your journey. I got born again, and I got, I got my ticket to heaven, but there was still a journey between where I am now to where I was going. And I had to learn that I cannot do this in my own strength all the time. I need to get into the supernatural slipstream. And that God had actually provided me this unfair advantage of getting into that. Now, some Christians, and this includes me, you know, along the journey, we, we realize that we feel the pressure we feel the absence of strength because at some point we stepped out of the slipstream. You start out well. You're there. You're on the back of the Holy Spirit. You are reading your Bible. You are spending time with God. You are having revelations in the secret place. It's awesome. You're there. You're right there. You're right there. Maybe one day you wake up and you're like, oh, today I'm a bit tired. So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip 
I'm going to skip this. This is like people who gym and they skip leg day. It's never a good idea. So uh, today, I'm sure, you know, it's fine. Jesus loves me. There's grace. I'm going to skip it today. Tomorrow, it's easier to skip it. The third day, it's even more easy to skip it. Before you know it, a whole week has gone by and you haven't spent time with Jesus. And that slipstream is starting to feel less and less like a slipstream. And you're starting to move out of that place and it's starting to become effort. Here is effortless. Here it feels like a lot of effort. And now what do I do? I remember what that used to feel like. And what we typically do as human beings is we think I'm going to replicate what I felt there in my own strength with my own ideas. So, so now I, I, I think, well, when I did that, I felt this way. And, and when I, so you go start making little doctrines and little man-made rules of how did I get into that the first place? But I don't actually go back to how it all started, which was a relationship with my God in heaven. And then I, I, I struggle. Then now I'm making up little rules. And if I do this and if I do that, then maybe I'll feel good. But what you're actually doing is that you are starting to work harder in your own strength, trying to achieve what only the Holy Spirit can achieve. But then if you, if you don't come right, if you don't realize this, you might find other friends who are in the same place. And now you guys start, start talking about what to do to make that feeling come again and come again. And you start making up, now you become each other's little slipstream. And you feel like, oh, what am I with those guys? Man, I feel the slipstream again. But it's a counterfeit. It's not the real thing. Does this ring true for anybody? I've experienced this in my own life. And it happens quicker than you realize. And we all need to come back to the place of what it really is. Because we are either in the flesh or we are in the spirit. We are either operating from works or we are operating by faith. Those are the things. There's no middle ground. The middle ground is compromise, and compromise leads to the wrong place eventually. Would you agree with me, church? All right. So today we're going to spend a lot of time in two chapters of the, the letter to the Galatians from Brother Paul, the Apostle Paul. As I get into those chapters, I want to set the scene. I want to talk a little bit about the background, but we are going to read this, these two chapters, most of it today here together because the context that it gives is just so powerful and I, I want you to know that this is going to be part Bible study, part teaching, but there's going to be a lot of preaching as well. Are you ready church? All right, good. So I want to start off by reading an excerpt. I've, I've done this before. The, the Bible that I have is, is a special version of the New King James and it has a little summary before every book. And this is what it says there, and I think it's really powerful. I tried to find out who the author is but I, to give him credit, but I couldn't find the, the name in the book. So I'm just going to credit whoever wrote this in the New King James Concordance Bible. All right. So he says, in summary, the Galatians, having launched their Christian experience by faith, so he uses a picture almost like launching a boat, going out on the water, all right, now, and they seemed content to leave their voyage of faith and chart a new course based on works. A course that Paul finds disturbing. 
So Paul has gotten onto this idea that, listen, they, they started with faith, but they're now moving over to works. And his letter to the Galatians is a vigorous attack against the gospel of works and a defense for the gospel of faith. Paul begins by setting forth his credentials as an apostle with a message from God. Blessing comes from God on the basis of faith, not law. The law declares men guilty and imprisons them. That's what the law does. But faith sets men free to enjoy liberty in Christ. Would you agree, church? But liberty, freedom, is not license. It's not the right to do what I want to. It's liberty. Freedom in Christ, listen to this church, this is a powerful statement. Freedom in Christ means freedom to produce the fruits of righteousness through a spirit-led lifestyle. I wanna read that again. Freedom in Christ means freedom to produce the fruits of righteousness through a spirit-led lifestyle. Does that hit you a little bit in the spirit? I hope so. So before we get into chapter five and six, which is what I'm gonna focus on, I wanna read a few verses of the first chapter to just show you what this beginning excerpt means. So Paul says in Galatians 1, 6, this is the New Living Translation. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. In other words, you're turning to another good news which is not good news. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preached to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. This is strong language, as the, the writer said, vigorous language. He is very upset, you can hear it. Someone came into his church and they are stirring up nonsense because they are preaching a different gospel. Now there are interesting similarities between how Paul addresses the church in Rome and how he addresses the Galatian church because even though Galatians is much shorter than Romans, you'll see, the, the interesting similarities is that, that the Galatian church also was made up of Jews and Gentiles. Now some of you would have been here for our series on the book of Romans last year, our epic series, remember that, adventure? And, and we saw that he was writing to a divided church between Jews and, and Gentiles. And, and because of that, we've, we see similar issues. The Jews want the Gentiles to follow the law. The Jews are like, you have to, and you have to, and you have to. And the Gentiles are like, no, bro. <laughs> We're free, man. We're free in Jesus. I'm getting this picture of these very stoic people versus like the hippie bunch. It's kind of what, what it seems to be like. And they're like, we're free in Jesus. But then they use that as an excuse to keep living the way they used to live. So we have the guys, again, like in Rome, they are the, the legalistic people 
are causing problems and the people who think, who know they got the truth, Jesus set me free, but now they use that as an excuse to live the way they want. We're gonna talk about the fruit of the Spirit, which is holy fruit, because we're doing a series on? Yes, and this is important, but we're going to make sure that we get the context. So, are you ready to read the Word of God? No, you're not, because we're gonna read a lot of Word. Church, are you ready to read the Word of God? Come on, all right. Yes, here we go. So we're gonna start at the beginning of chapter five of of the letter of Galatians. So Christ has truly set us free. Can we get a glory? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now, make sure that you stay free. And don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. So this statement is probably more aimed at the Jewish bunch in the church. He says, Christ has truly set us free. Now make sure that you stay free. Why would Paul say that if it's impossible to not stay free? If, it's in, if, you once, if you get saved once, get freed once in Jesus, and why would, it be, why would he say stay free if there's no way that you can get to that place of not being free again? It means that you can. It be, he says, you got into the slipstream, you are free. Don't get out. Stay in the slipstream. Can you see that? This is so important to get. This is the heart of his whole message. Don't get tied up again in slavery to the law. What is slavery? Slavery is when you force someone to do work that they don't want to do in a place they don't want to go for no pay. And you suffer. He's saying, don't become a slave of the law. Again, you've been set free. He says, listen. (laughs) How many remember that video that went viral a few years ago? Linda, honey, Linda, honey, listen. Listen, honey, Linda. And it's a child speaking to his mother. Linda, honey, listen. (laughs) Now, Paul is much more serious. He's like, listen, church, seriously, wake up. It's like, take heed. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. I'm reading from the New Living Translation, so it's a bit more modern. I, Paul, tell you this. If you are counting on circumcision to make you right with God, then Christ will be of no benefit to you. I'll say it again. If you are trying to find favor with God by being circumcised, you must obey every regulation in the whole law of Moses. For if you are trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you have been cut off from Christ. Now, I think that's a very cute pun that Paul is giving us. Because he's talking about circumcision. Now, in the Bible, circumcision represents law. This circumcision represents the law. And those of the circumcision means the Jews. Now, he's talking to a divided church. Remember that. And he's saying to them, for if you're trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you've been cut off from Christ. I don't think anyone gets the pun, but anyway, I do. It's very funny. You have fallen away from God's grace, but we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive by faith the righteousness God has promised us. For, we, for when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, there's no benefit in being circumcised or being uncircumcised. What is important is faith expressing itself in love. 
Paul is making a very stark, important contrast between running after the law, thinking that it will make you right with God, and saying, no, it won't. Whether you are uncircumcised or circumcised, or whether you are following the law or not following the law, as in to the letter of the law, doesn't, it, it has no benefit to you. The only benefit that you should have is Christ, Him crucified, and you free from the law, from sin and death, through Christ Jesus. Amen? This is what Paul is trying to get across. And he's he's stressing how important our faith journey is. Our righteousness in Christ does not come from us doing everything right in our own strength. It is surrendering to the slipstream of the Holy Spirit and staying so close to Him that we walk in righteousness because of what He has done. Amen? Not because of what we have done. It's the difference between wanting to live a holy life because I'm in communion with the Holy Spirit versus I want to impress God so that He accepts me. The one is a son and a daughter of the living God who knows who they are and the other is an orphan spirit basing their decisions on performance-driven, you know, living a performance-driven lifestyle, wanting to please God. And Paul is making it very clear, you cannot do that. Now listen to this. He says, you were running the race so well. How many of you know that's like a backhanded compliment? (laughs) Has anyone ever said to you, when you you make something, you present something, or you sing, or you you did some work, and and you present it to someone, and they go, it's not terrible. It's like, Wow, you could have rather just not say anything. <laughs> it's not terrible, so we, we are measuring it against how terrible it could be, not against how good it should be. Anyway, so he's saying, you, run, you were running the race so well. Who has held you back from following the truth? When I read that line, I hear the heart of God going with Adam and Eve. Who told you you were naked? It's the same spirit that wants to draw us away. Who has held you back from following the truth? It certainly isn't God. For he is the one who called you to freedom. God has not told you to do these things. Who has led you astray? Now he, go, he comes out and said, like it is, this false teaching is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. I am trusting the Lord to keep you from believing false teachings what do we speak of recently what you sow will show do not let false teachers and prophets sow into your life check everything against the word of God make sure that you're following him and what God is teaching us in this ministry God will judge that person whoever he is who had been confusing you someone it's a confusing spirit It comes in, it tries to say, no, but the right thing to do is for all these Gentiles to get circumcised. If they want to be Christians, they have to look like us. And Paul's like, no. Jesus has done the finished work on the cross. You cannot put that onto them. How many of the brothers in Christ are very happy about that? We don't have to do this. 
Dear brothers and sisters, if I were still preaching that you must be circumcised as some say I do, why am I still being persecuted? If I were no longer preaching salvation through the cross of Jesus Christ, no one would be offended. So what's been happening here? These false teachers come in and they go, yeah, you know, Paul agrees with us. Paul says that. They are blatantly lying. They are using Paul's name. They are using his authority and saying that you, can, you should do this. And listen, yeah, Paul agrees with us. So they are taking Paul's name as a stamp of approval, but he never said that. How many of you have children? Has your child ever come to you and said, mom said I can do it. And then you speak to mom. And mom never said anything. This is what they are doing. I don't know why I sounded Indian. That's what they are doing, man. <laughs> so he, he says, and what you can also see in this picture is that he says, listen, guys, if I were preaching that you should get circumcised, no one will persecute me. The Jews will stop persecuting me. But they are still persecuting me. They're still offended. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the rock of offense and the stumbling stone to those who have not had the revelation. He's, he, Paul offended the Jews because he went from being one of the, the rabbis of rabbis, a Pharisee of Pharisees, knowing the word backwards. He was attacking Christians and killing them. He went from that to following the way of Jesus Christ. And and saying that you don't have to follow the law, you don't have to get circumcised, Christ is your liberty. The Jews lost it completely. Because for them the law is everything. To be circumcised is everything. So you can understand why there's tension. But Paul is making just a very good argument. He says, guys, let's think about this. If I were preaching this as they say I am, why am I being persecuted by the Jews? Hello? I love how Paul sometimes just makes people think and come to their own conclusions. He says, I just wish that those troublemakers who want to mutilate you by circumcision would mutilate themselves. Yo. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. See, now he's turning it to the, the Gentiles, saying, don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature instead. So don't do this, instead do this. Use your freedom to serve one another in love. What? So don't, I shouldn't use my freedom for my own lust, for my own flesh, for my own desires, but I should use my freedom. But what for? To love well. Do you see that? This is the word of God. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you take the whole law, and let's just think of the 10 commandments, or think of the main things that Jesus preached when he was doing the Sermon on the Mount. He was, he was trying to help people understand it's, it's not about keeping the letter of the law as much as it is to understand what is the heart of God for people. And the heart of God for people is that you love your brother so much that you won't kill him. Because you love him. Even if he drives you to that place where you think, man, I'm going <laughs> to. That, that you won't take his wife. 
that you won't covet the things that he has, that you won't steal from him, that you won't lie, that you won't speak ill of him. You can take all of those things every time, just ask yourself, if I do this, when I do this, am I loving my brother? Am I loving my sister? When I speak this way about another person, is it love or not? It remains the best test. But if you, listen to this, if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. He's talking to a divided church. Now can you imagine the Jews are going, these Gentiles are going to hell because they haven't had the circumcision. The Gentiles are like, these guys are going to hell because they haven't accepted the freedom of Christ. <laughs> Devouring each other, backbiting each other. He says, if you are trying to destroy yourselves, you will. It's a warning from a father to a church of his spiritual children. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. He can't put it more clearly than that. These two forces are constantly fighting each other. So you are not free to carry out your good intentions. Your good intentions. How many of you know the saying about good intentions? The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Because good intentions are not actions. This weekend my son and I were at a father-son camp for the great eights of Paul Ruiz. Yes, I'm an old Paul Ruiz, so yes. How do you know it? I told you. <laughs> so we were at this camp and one of the things that the, they talked about as they were speaking to us as fathers is about intentional parenting, intentional, being an intentional dad. And he, the one guy showed a graph and, it, and the, the one axis was intention and the other axis was action. And he drew this tension line between them. He said that this is one of the hardest things for us to get right, is to line up actions with intention. And this is what Paul is saying. You are not free to carry out your good intentions. I want to be a good Christian. I want to do everything right. I really meant well. But then what does your action say? What is God going to test one day? We've read this over and over again the last few weeks in the scriptures. What will be tested with holy consuming fire on the day of the white throne judgment? Your intentions? What is going on in your heart? What is going on in your mind? What is going on in your actions? Your works will be tested. And if he knows what's going on in your mind and in your heart, which is where your intentions would be lying, and he tests against your works, what will he see? It's nice that you had that intention, but your action said something completely different. There are two forces fighting. The one thing we need to realize from this scripture is that we have to realize we are in a battle. We have to realize this. You've given your life to Christ, yes. You love Jesus, yes. You follow the Holy Spirit, yes. But the battle is real. Your flesh is gonna constantly try and get into the game. 
the only way to avoid it is to stay in the slipstream of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And he says it right here as we go on with the scripture. But when you are directed by the Spirit, but when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under obligation to the law of Moses. When you follow, in other words, if I've made a decision, I've been intentional with my timing and I'm now following um, the desires of my sinful nature, the results the fruit, the unholy fruit are very clear. So now Paul gets real. He's saying, if you follow the desires of your sinful nature, in other words, this is my action. This is my seed. If my seed of my life is following the desires of my sinful nature, then I will create a tree that will have fruit that is unholy. And he says it's very clear. Now he makes a list, a list. And this is where all of us, at some point, at least at one, maybe of many of these on the list, we'll go, whew, okay. Holy Spirit, come do a work in my life. Sexual immorality. The Greek word for sexual immorality is porneia, which you can figure out what we get from that. Impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, which is Idolatry, in essence, is looking to anything but God to worship and to find meaning and happiness. If you, if you worship anything else, you are idol- committing idolatry. Sorcery, getting involved in things that are physically witchcraft. Um, in, our, in our context of Africa, we have to be aware of the problems with, with regards to Sangomas and all these and ancestral worship. All these things are part of that. Hostility, fighting with one another, quarreling, having fights with one another, being jealous, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension. What is this? dissension, division? They are basically the same thing. It's about not agreeing, not being in unity. Envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. The list actually goes on. Let me tell you again, as I've had before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. The New King James says it like this. Those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. We have to realize that sin is still sin that we still serve a holy God who hates sin. That all of these things are signs of the brokenness of people. Remember, he's speaking to a church. He is speaking to people who have heard the gospel, responded to the gospel, started out well. Heinz, what are you saying? I'm not saying anything. Paul is. I'm just reading his letter out loud. He's writing to a church. He said that you started out well by taking the gospel. Make sure that you don't fall for another gospel. So they've heard the gospel, they've responded to the gospel. They are believers. Anyone who wants to disagree with me, you would be wrong, but you can disagree. He's saying to them, Jews and Gentiles, 
that when you follow your desires of your sinful nature, the results, the fruit are the following. All these things. And then he says, if you live this way, in other words, if this is your lifestyle, if this is what you practice, how many of you know that if you practice something, you get better at it? So if you practice impurity, if you practice lustful things, if you practice getting drunk better, I'm sure I can get drunker this time. I'm gonna get, I'm gonna practice. How many more can I handle? If you practice idolatry, practice jealousy, if you make outbursts of anger a lifestyle, selfish ambition, if you cause division, if you, if you are envious, if you are partaking often in, in wild parties where things just go into a dark place and you are there and you allow yourself to be there over and over and over again, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. What does that mean? Sometimes we read these scriptures and we've got a similar scripture from 1 Corinthians 6 where Paul lists many of the same things and he adds a few other things. And he says the same thing, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now people in the world who hear that get offended. How can you say, how can you judge me? What do you mean? Why do you care about not inheriting a kingdom that you're not a part of, that you actually don't even believe in. What, what, why do you get upset? Yo, you can't judge me. I, I'm not judging you, I'm reading scripture from an ancient book that's proven to be true. I'm reading it. Yo, but you know, I'm on that list. Okay, you can get off of it. But first you have to believe there's a kingdom of God. And there's a king who is king over this kingdom. And it's not a democracy. You don't have a say. You either sign up and follow the king or complain and get put, put to the wayside. Fall in line or fall out. It's a kingdom. We have to realize this. And the deciding factor is following the sinful nature. In other words, it is possible for a born again, I love Jesus Christian to feel the force of this struggle and to lean back towards the sinful nature and start falling back into those things. But there's a difference between a Christian brother and sister who feels the force, they stop being in the slipstream, they've compromised on their quiet time, they've compromised on their worship and prayer time, and they're now falling back into old habits or things that they know is not right. But the moment they do it, they go, no, this is not who I am. I repent, Jesus, I repent, and I run back into the presence of God. I fall on my knees and I say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Lord, that's not who I am, it's not who I want to be. Help me, Jesus. And you get back into the slipstream and you walk with Jesus. That is different. You are not practicing the sin. Can you hear the difference? And there's hope in that. But there's a massive warning in that. 
If I realize that I'm a born-again Christian, I've been walking with Jesus, but there's a pattern that keeps repeating, keeps repeating, keeps repeating, and I'm practicing it, I'm making it a part of my life, I have to watch out because I'm in danger of not inheriting the kingdom of God, which is, yes, going to heaven, spending eternity with God, absolutely. So I ask, now some of you might go, well, can I lose my salvation? Is that what you're saying? That is a very sensitive doctrinal discussion. What I can tell you with confidence is the way that you live here now after being born again has a direct effect on where and how you will spend eternity in heaven. There's a scripture from Paul that says some of you are going to make it by the skin of your body and you're going to, you're going to net net or any outer courts from the Himmelstown. This is net net. Just woof. You're going to have no crowns. You're never going to go into the Holy of Holies. You're going to eat on all bite. Because in the Himmel. But you're not going to experience the fullness. Guys, we have to realize that we as born again believers can already experience the fullness of heaven right now on this earth as we follow Jesus. And as we do that, we bring heaven wherever we go. We start making the culture a culture of heaven. Fathers, we are the culture setters of our home. We are the, as Cassie Carson says, we are supposed to be the air conditioners of the spiritual realm in our home. We, we determine whether our home is heavenly or hellish. That's our role. And that goes for any space that you walk into. When you walk into a space, do you carry the authority of Jesus Christ? Do you carry the presence of the Holy Spirit? Do you have the joy, the peace, the love, the testimony of who you are in Christ? Does your face show it? Or do people go, avoid them today? A Christian should not be allowed to get out of bed on the wrong side. Because whichever side you get out on, fall on your knees, read the Bible, and get up. Some of you are already offended. It's about to get worse. Now he's told us these things, when you practice them, when they are your lifestyle, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then in contrast, he says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. Everybody say fruit. Fruit. Remember, we need to be positioned to produce. We have to make sure that what is sown into our lives is what God wants to be sown because it's going to show. So he says, he produces this kind of fruit in your lives. Love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the 
passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. It is taken care of. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. He is giving a warning sandwich. Some of you know a compliment sandwich. He is warning, this will make you not inherit the kingdom of God, but in the spirit, this is what you can know will be part of your life. And then another warning, do not become conceited or provoke one another. Paul knows that people can easily be drawn away from the truth that they know and start nying, 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 attack, attack, backbiting, backbiting, and it becomes a thing. He, he's saying to us that we have to walk in the Spirit. He continues in chapter 6. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. If your brother got out of the slipstream, you got to get him back into the slipstream. Why? Because you love him that much. He might resist. He might fight you. But because you love him, you're going to say, dude, he mag droog. Kom terug. Kom in die slipstream op Geo, slapstream. That wasn't that good, but anyway. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the Lord of Christ. Guys, I have seen young girls falling in love with a guy who doesn't serve Jesus, who lives a lifestyle that's on that list, thinking, I'm going to save him. I'm going to lead him to Jesus. And then they go with him to dark places and they think they are going to shine a light there and change his life. But what ends up happening? It's much easier for someone to pull you down from a table than for you to pull them up onto a table if you are standing alone. You cannot save a person. Only the Holy Spirit can. But when someone has already been saved and we see he's veering off, he's, trying to, he's starting to get out of the slipstream, we say, hey, dude, no, I love you too much. Come on, how's it going with your quiet time? What are you reading in the Bible? What is, what is God telling you? And you can then find out, now this brother is struggling. Something happened. Someone in their family died or they got sick and they're like, where is this God? And they've got a legitimate question. Okay, now let's walk through that with you. Don't just turn your back on God because he's not doing something you would prefer. His word is true. His, what, he is, what he's died for is true. Nothing has changed. Your circumstances have changed, but he hasn't changed. And we help our brother back onto the right road. Then he says, Be, pay careful attention to your own work. Oh, sorry, I, missed, I skipped something. If you think you are too important to help someone, you are fooling yourself. You are not that important. Ooh, I know. If you think you are too important to help a brother, you're fooling yourself because you are not that important. 
Some of us need to hear that. It needs to make a little bit seer. And we need to deal with that truth. I've, I've been guilty of this. I've sometimes driven past people on the road that I can see are struggling and I feel the Holy Spirit say, stop, help them. And I'm like, I'm going to be late. Uh, I'm sure someone else will go. Guilty. Didn't do that. Felt I was more important. Let's not be those Christians. Let's be people who love God so much, love our brothers so much that we can't wait to help them however they need that help. Pay careful attention to your own work for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. That's a whole sermon on itself about doing what God has called you to do. Don't get jealous. For we are each responsible for our own conduct. The world is trying to teach us that no one is responsible for anything. That people who are historically oppressed can do whatever they want. And people who are seen as historically the oppressor is, is guilty of everything. It's such a mess. But the Bible says each of us are responsible for our own conduct. We are going to stand before God. And we need to make sure that what we are doing glorifies Him and is in line with His will. Those who are taught the Word of God should provide for their teachers, sharing all good things with them. That is speaking of, he's Paul writing to a church. He says, hey, I'm teaching you part of what you need to do is to provide for me so that I can keep doing what I'm doing. Amen? Then he says in verse 7, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. Now, this is why I want to keep, I keep reading through all these things because I want to get to this part. It brings it all together so powerfully. You will always harvest what you plant. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from the sinful nature. But those who live to please the Spirit will harvest everlasting life from the Spirit. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Stay in the slipstream, even when it gets tough, even when you think like, I can do this on my own. No, you can't. You need to stay in the supernatural slipstream of the Holy Spirit. Don't get out. Don't think you can do it on your own. You need to stay there. Amen? And we will harvest an, a harvest of everlasting life. What is Paul contrasting? Not inheriting the kingdom of God with inheriting the fullness of the kingdom of God. And we are constantly sowing something. Remember, seed, tree, fruit. Seed, tree, fruit. We are constantly sowing something. What are you sowing? Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith. We are called to live outwardly, to love all our brothers and sisters, especially those in our church. Then he says, notice what large letters I use as I write these closing words in my own handwriting. Those who are trying to force you to be circumcised wants to look good to others. They don't want to be persecuted for teaching that the cross of Christ alone can save you. He is warning them against people who have fear of man. 
so worried about what other people are going to think, so worried about fitting in to the culture, so worried about doing what people around you will say, that's good, that's cool. But what is actually happening? That's a spirit of control. It's a spirit of control that wants to rear its head and tell you what to do, although Christ has already said what you should do. And even those who advocate circumcision don't keep the whole law themselves. They only want you to be circumcised so that they can boast about it and claim you as their disciples. It's all about me, all about what I can achieve and how I can boast about how, hey, I've, I've got another one on my notch. I've, I've gotten them to, to, to bow. And what happens with the spirit of control? A spirit of control is always grace for me, law for you. So yo, you have to do it. But I don't have to do it. Paul ends by saying, as for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified. And the world's interest in me has also died. It doesn't matter whether we have been circumcised or not. What counts is whether we've been transformed into a new creation. May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. Thank you so much for listening to the Love Key Church podcast message of the week. I trust that you had a life-changing encounter with God that will help you to align with His purposes so that you can be one step closer to reigning in life. And may you be inspired to share this with others. Have a great week and remember to listen again next week or you can catch us live online or come visit us in person. May God bless you and keep you. Make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you and your loved ones. God bless you. Bye-bye.